1: Hey everyone, it's Caroline from G-Thanks Just Bought It, reminding you that in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at gthanksjustboughtitpod. You can find products that don't make it onto the episodes and recommendations from listeners like you. So before you start this episode, give it a follow and say hi in the comments. And for a full list of every product we featured on G-Thanks, visit gthanksjustboughtit.com slash episodes. See you there. Welcome to another week of g Thanks Just Bought It, the podcast where we talk about what we just bought and what you might need to buy next. My guest today is Cora Harrington. She started The Lingerie Addict. You might know that website. Her book, it, In Intimate Detail, How to Choose Where and Love Lingerie, everyone loves it. We have not talked about lingerie at all on this podcast, and now the podcast has been out for almost a year, and I feel like we're it's time. So Cora, I'm very happy to welcome you.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm really, I'm really happy that you invited me.
1: Yay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you. I think we've gotten some requests in the past, like when can we start talking about this and this and this. And I feel like as listeners, we're now, you know, we're part of a community. Now we know each other, we can get a little bit deeper, um, a little bit more intimate about our product recommendations. It's time to start talking about lingerie. Um, how long have you been doing the Lingerie Addict?
0: I have been running it since April 2008. So almost 13 years now.
1: Wow. And when you started it, what were you like, what did you think it was going to be?
0: I I didn't really have a have a long term goal or plan. This is my second career. Before this, I worked in the nonprofit industry. Um, And so my blog was very much a hobby, just something I was doing on the side that was fun and it wasn't serious and it had nothing to do with my day-to-day life Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't have any larger plans for it it wasn't until I decided to start running my site full-time that I began thinking about a future for it and and how I might want to grow it or what what else I might want
1: to get from it wow and when did you go from you know like hobby blog to full-time job I think eight years ago wow that's like that's a really long time Yeah, I mean, it's so funny.
0: Um, there, there there's so many kind of, I feel like stories and recommendations and kind of guides on how to be a full time blogger. Um, but a lot of it is, let me see, how how can I put this? Um, a lot of it just isn't glamorous. Like there are people who are making a full time living from what they do, just kind of like chilling and focusing on a niche and just kind of doing their thing day to day. And I, I feel like this is a little bit off topic. Um, but I feel like one of the the funniest things is that people people think what you do is so glamorous, and I do love my job. I talk about laundry every day, um, but like quite a bit of it is also just kind of grinding away and doing things like bookkeeping.
1: Yes. <laughs> deeply not fun. Yes, a lot of there, there's a lot of spreadsheets involved. Um no, I get it. I'm like I have been I have been a freelance writer myself for like 3 years. Um and before that I was working a full-time job and also freelance writing. And yeah, like everyone's like, "Oh, that must be so nice." And I'm like, "It's a lot of paper? Like it's a lot of it's a lot of like emails yeah there's a lot of non-fun stuff there there's Mm -hmm. I feel like as long as I'm having fun like 51 percent of the time I'm good um right right just tip me over the edge but yeah I get what you mean (laughs) like I get what you mean and also the you know the onslaught of like Instagram and and just seeing everybody's like social platforms also sort of holds this a fake narrative that like all everyone does all day is like looks cute and takes pictures, but it is a it's sometimes it can be just a slog. Well I, I feel like I'm so
0: old because I was like blogging in the days of blogger and Google Reader yeah. and before Facebook had brand pages. And so I feel like I've really been able to see the development um of this area and of this space. And one of the things that things that is really exciting is that there are so many more tools and platforms um available for people to explore niches for people to share things with their readers. Um, But it's definitely been interesting seeing blogs go from being a very trendy thing about a decade or so ago to falling out of favor um, with social media. Everybody had to have a Facebook page or a Twitter account, then a mm-hmm. Pinterest account, then an Instagram account. And now we're seeing things kind of swoop back around to where blogs are beginning to become popular again and newsletters are beginning yeah. to become popular again. That's right. Um, so that that's very funny to me as someone who's kind of who started out in that space and mm-hmm. kind of stuck with it when it wasn't cool anymore. Yeah, um, Seeing it kind of circle back because people want to control their own platforms again. That's right. People want to be able to post thoughts that are longer than 180 characters yeah. people don't want to have to rely on algorithms
1: you don't want to um, use another platform like for monetization it's yeah. a lot easier to take control of that on your own blog but I, I mean yeah I was gonna say you kind of started from the ground the ground level you know 2008 was like the true heyday like everyone had a blog like everyone had a blog and then by 2012 you kind of like you know the 10 percent of those people rose up and actually were able to do it you know, long term or expand, and it sounds like obviously you were a part of that. But what is, th- th- yeah, and like I feel like with Instagram swipe up, like you can finally bring people back to the blog again. Um, when before it was just like, you know wrote about this today on the blog and then you have to like write an Instagram post that was like a diluted version of the same thing that you had already written on the blog. And like, there's no way to link an Instagram. I mean, yeah, it's, it is really difficult. Cause now you're playing by these, you know, essentially Facebook's rules. Um, mm-hmm. but you're right.
0: Facebook does not like lingerie. I just want to say that Facebook
1: what does you, not like lingerie. Do they, do they filter you out? Does their algorithm filter you out? There's
0: a lot of shadow banning. Um,
1: <sighs> God. and
0: it's it's frustrating because there's this idea um, that you can't talk about, well, first of all, like platforms should allow discussions around sex and sexuality, like full stop. Yes. But um, also there's this idea that you can't talk about lingerie without also talking about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and that bothers me because not just because lingerie is a legitimate area of the fashion industry that I think deserves just as much consideration and exploration um, and expertise as the rest of the fashion industry, but there are also some really necessary conversations that come from the space around, you know, sexuality and gender identity um, and, you know, kind of your body presentation and all these other things that when we kind of lump lingerie directly in with sex, we don't, we don't necessarily have the space to have conversations specifically about intimate apparel um, in and of itself. And so that, that's one of the things I also try to do with my site is to get people to think of lingerie to get people to think of intimate apparel as an interesting subject all on its own. Yeah. Um, And as a diverse and nuanced topic all on its own without having to, to kind of bring other things into it.
1: Yeah. I think that that is, that is, that is so true. Um, Just in terms of, you know, who's making the rules over at these big tech giants, like what, you know, what, what kind of filters are they putting into place where this is being filtered out? And you kind of have to imagine, you know, what those conversations look like at some of these big, okay. important um Corporations that essentially I mean I hate to say it But run really everything that we do I mean and you see it all the time on Instagram Like you can see a very thin body A thin you know white Mm -hmm. Cisgendered body um, Wearing next to nothing And no one Mm -hmm. says boo And then you get a fat body Or you get a gender nonconforming body Or you get uh, a black body And Mm -hmm. it is a whole other story And then all of a sudden people's stuff Like people's accounts are getting removed Mm -hmm. And people I mean And it's like it just we lose lose so much of the, the fun conversation that could be had, you know, about intimate so, apparel. And it's so
0: obvious. Yes, it's, it's so, so obvious. obvious.
1: It's so obvious. I mean, like there's, they don't even try anymore to be like, oh, wow, it must have, oh, it's, you know, like, uh, it's, it's crazy that this, this happened. It's like, no, they, they actually put that in place. Like that mm-hmm. is actually supposed to happen according to them. Um, mm-hmm. And you see it over and over again. And so much, I mean, I feel like. I, we've, we've been watching that happen since 2015, since 2016, and it's still Mm -hmm. happening. And so it kind of, it must take a little, it must take a lot away from you because you want to be able to focus on having this, um, you know, inclusive conversation about intimate apparel and about, you know, size inclusivity and gender and just getting to the fun of lingerie. But it ends up having to become this whole thing where it's like, can we even just get this into people's faces to begin with?
0: Yeah, exactly. Can we even talk to people? Um, Can we even reach people? I mean, you could just look at Tumblr, where Tumblr essentially stripped. Oh, oh my God. So just as an aside before we start talking about that, I I keep thinking about how Tumblr could absolutely be cleaning up right now, if only they just kept doing what they were doing like a few years ago, because everybody wants... Uh, um what is it called a chronological timeline people want little short form blogs like this could have been their moment to shine yes. and they mess it up
1: now so anyway, tell, tell everyone little- what happened with tumblr just in case they don't know so
0: tumblr decided to to ban all adult content of any kind so that included um content related to sex work but also content related and sex work of pornography but also content related to things like sexuality so like lgbtq plus identity so um it shadow banned content related to lingerie and intimate apparel, like my own content. Um, and not just that, the filters were set so broadly that even things like puppy dog pictures and kitty pictures were being dragged <laughs> into Jesus. the filter as being adult content. And my <laughs> own site, I had like 90,000 followers, I think. Um, and my Tumblr was going really well. It was f- sending a lot of traffic to my blog, you know, like we just talked about. Um, and I was one of the accounts that got kind of caught into that adult filter and I would look at my mentions and suddenly the only blogs So for one thing, I wasn't getting any more like three blogs or anything, but the only sites that were able to see my site, the only times were able to see mine were ones that were like really gross porn spam tumblers. Yep. And it was just like, so you decided to, to blacklist all these content creators, but you made this room for spammers and like, what do you. Like you didn't do the thing you thought you were doing. Oh people yeah, people aren't gonna. I mean, that's the whole thing about social media, right? You need a critical, a critical mass of people to maintain it. And once mm-hmm. people start leaving, once your your site starts hemorrhaging, then it's just a, it's just a, I guess like a countdown until it's
1: completely downhill. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think this. I really even don't know if I'm making sense. No, you are making sense. It's, <laughs> it's a great point. I mean, look like. I think, I mean, my opinion is that I think censorship on on many different levels on social media should be in place. All of these companies censor the wrong things. That's my well, opinion. I feel it, like the Nazis also- are running like- wild, but I can't see cute bras and there's something wrong with that.
0: Well, it, it gets into the difference between what is it? What is the difference between having just a social platform, just essentially an online free-for-all right. versus having a community? Yes. Because the essence of a community has to include community management. And these social platforms are not set up for community management. Community management is very difficult to scale. Like, it requires people and subtlety and rules and guidelines.
1: So there's yeah. some stuff you've got to ban. It requires real um, humans that you have to it pay. Requires, and it requires,
0: like, boundaries. Yes, um, and these platforms, they are not in the business, like they say they're in the business of creating communities, but they're not actually in the business of creating communities. They're in the business of just acquiring users and getting people to use the site and to stay on the site. Yes. Um, and truthfully, like conflict, controversy, vulgarity, um, racism, homophobia, all of that attracts people. It gives them activity, which gets them ad dollars. And they're not really interested in, in creating or managing community. And that's right. When, when you know, I think when you know that 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 is what's happening, then it's it's much easier to understand the decisions that platforms like Facebook and Tumblr and Twitter are making. They're not making it with community in mind.
1: That's right, and I, I this also reminds me of when I used to work in newsrooms, you know, <laughs> publishing things that you knew. I wouldn't make the decision but being and it wasn't necessarily I will say I would defend the places that I have worked but you see a lot in media people like publishing stories that you know are going to get people riled up and it's because on the back end they don't care whether your click was a hate click or a, mm-hmm. a not hate click they just care that you click and the mm-hmm. clicking yields advertising dollars and so mm-hmm. it is it is difficult because you know yes that's a business but then be- you know what? Because community is hard to grow, community hard- is slow. It's hard, it's hard to maintain. It's expensive to maintain. You actually need mm-hmm. real people, and um, people don't have time. To- people people believe they don't have time to do that anymore. They want to just go. They just want to scale really, really fast, um, and so they burn really, mm-hmm. really fast. And so, you know, that's the unfortunate part. But yeah, I mean, I I'm not surprised that maintaining the lingerie addict on a social platform is a headache because. I can just imagine what is in place to keep you from getting the reach I think that you deserve. Um,
0: well, and also I, I very strictly moderate my community um, in terms of blog comments, in terms of Facebook comments. I have a group on Facebook um, that has about 5,000 members that we aggressively moderate. Um, and it takes time and it takes effort. It, it takes time to create what I like to call like a safer space. I don't think there's any truly safe space online, but you can try to make safer spaces.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it, it would be it would take a lot less time if we didn't do all that work, but then we wouldn't have the community we have. That's
1: right. Yeah. And um, then it's like, what's the point?
0: What's the point? Like, why are you? I, I don't understand. I feel like I'm just going off on tangents.
1: No, here. I lo- no, I love this. <laughs> this is a, no, this is a great conversation to have. It's it's good. But, I mean,
0: like, I mean, how can you be a publication? Um, that talks about, you know, we're no place for hate. We don't believe in racism and homophobia yeah. and transphobia. But then people look in the comment section of your site or in the comments of your social media posts, and that's what they see. Like, it's not just enough to say these things. You have to actually follow through on the platforms that you control. Right. Um, and a lot of a lot of sites and a lot of publications don't do that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and a lot of times the, those comments can sometimes... I mean, I'm a big... Pr- I don't know. I really, when I was writing, I really believe, like, you know, never read the comments because they all, you know, live in the basement. But it also is sort of a reflection of your community. If, like, the first thing that happens when you post something is, like, all this, like, hate, then Mm -hmm. it really makes you wonder, like, is this worth it? I'm not getting the kind of people I'm trying to reach anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I I really think that, like, all comments on, like, big, big media sites should be shut down. Like, I don't want to read like someone's comment on the news like that, you know, mm-hmm. cause then you get a lot of like QAnon stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, it, it's difficult. And also like, just imagine that, you know, you, you were there in 2008 starting this, like this wasn't a thing. Like there was just, it's all changed so much in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, oh, it's it's completely different, completely different place, a completely different environment. Um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And even now, we're seeing like some of those first bloggers kind of, you know, bowing out from the space. Like Manderkiller just shut down. That's right. Um, because it's like it's not enough to do what she was doing. Um, like we don't see. I think like Garen Store. I haven't heard that name in a while. Uh-huh. The Sartorialist was big when I started. I haven't heard that name in oh, forever. Wow. Um, I think Susie Bubble is still around, but I don't see her name as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like a lot of these these first, Brian Boy is still around. I see his name all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, a lot of the first blogs have also just kind of fallen fallen away or decided it's no longer, it's no longer worth their time.
1: Yeah. I mean, it. you know, people do grow and evolve out of this stuff and and that makes sense. But I think people really had no idea in 2008, you know, what was even possible and, Mm -hmm. and, and also just how often you would have to be pivoting because things change so much. Like before we take a quick break, I was just remembering, um, I'm like a big Olympics person. I love watching the Olympics because I love like a personal story. And I remember watching London 2012 and it was the first Olympics where people were really on Twitter all the time. And the way that the Olympics really works is that they film everything wherever they're doing the Olympics and then they air all of the big events in the prime time. And for the first time ever, you were getting updates on who won what way Mm -hmm. before they aired in real time and And NBC like did not know what to do and it was like Mm -hmm. no one even considered it like no one I remember finding out who won between like Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte and like the hundred meter whatever at like 2 p.m but you weren't really supposed to watch it until 8 and then Mm -hmm. it was a mess it was a real mess Mm -hmm. and they only had four more years to figure out how they were going to do it for Rio and it's like you can't even I mean that was only eight years ago and you had the biggest media conglomerate in, honestly, uh, one of the biggest in the world saying like, oh, we didn't think of this. Like we Mm -hmm. didn't think of of the fact that it, you know, if the if the race is over at two p.m. in London or at you know at nine p.m. in London, and we're not showing it until eight p.m. in the U.S., like there's, there are ways people are going to find out who won, and there are ways that people are going to be able to broadcast it, mm-hmm. and we're going to step mm-hmm. all over our prime time. It's just wild. It is a lot of pivoting, and yeah, you kind of have to be ready to like get in into it for success we've seen
0: we've seen a lot of these legacy brands struggle with i think staying up to date and relevant i mean in my industry the big example is Victoria's secret right um industry via moth once controlled two-thirds of the american intimate apparel industry major player everybody knows the name absolutely refused to do any kind of pivoting yeah whatsoever at all it's wild. Um, And we're seeing the consequences of it now. Like we, you have these big companies that should have consultants and experts and, you know, people on their team giving them advice on what to do. But if the leadership is conservative and if the leadership isn't open to changing things, then you wind up with situations like what you described or situations like Victoria's Secret, mm-hmm. which, I mean, are just, it's reflective of who's in charge.
1: And that's what happens when old white men are running the show. Basically, um, it's really true. I mean, that like it's so much. I mean, Victoria's Secret is such a good example because. I get it. Like sometimes brands are like cruise ships, like it's harder to pivot them when they're that big, but like they should have been, they have a ton of money. They should have been able yeah. to see this coming. Like there are people who get paid to forecast this kind of stuff. And the fact that yeah. they missed it entirely or that they were just like, we don't want to believe that. I think, that this I think is- they just didn't want exactly. to do it. Exactly. They didn't want to do it. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Okay. We're back. So, so I love I love this conversation because I love I love like kind of looking at the history of of blogging. It also just seems like it's like the industrial revolution, but like jam packed into like I don't know in in the timeline of creation. All of this stuff mm-hmm. happened in seconds, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it's wild. And you are real. You've really been able to harness change as it comes and and go with it. And I think that this that's really amazing.
0: Well, it helps being in a niche. Um, like I, I have a very deliberate and specific niche that I stick to, which I mean, some people think is kind of a downside because I can't talk about, you know, say like home decor, or housewares or shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the upside to that is that my site and what I do stays relevant for longer and also the fact that my site is more um, informational mm-hmm. as opposed to kind of like outfit of the day or daily wear kinds of things also helps because I get I get to bring um, bring in or get to have like a steady stream of traffic yeah um, that's not dependent on trends or even on me and what I wear um, which has always been the goal I think for my site I if it's just about me and what I'm doing I don't think that's very interesting. Um, like I don't have enough going on in my life to just right. run a site about me
1: (laughs) yeah i i got that
0: (laughs) having content though that i think that educates people that teaches people that answers people's questions that's what people want to see and particularly in the the niche of lingerie right now there is more interest than ever before in intimate apparel Mm -hmm. um, due to things like the victoria's secret conversation due to things like the launch of savage savage x fenty um that has people like searching for laundry, searching for information wanting to know more mm-hmm. um and so being in a position where i can offer that information to people i think matters more than ever and that like we talked about instagram a little bit ago that's something you can't do on instagram instagram is not searchable like you oh, cannot search right. captions on, which is for the best truthfully maybe but you, can, you cannot that's search right. like captions on instagram you the content isn't like it doesn't resurface like after what a couple of days it's basically done and disappeared yeah um and one of the one of the major advantages to blogs is that that content is always there that content can always be referred to mm-hmm. even if blogs aren't cool or whatever i don't know I
1: think, um yeah they
0: have they have a longevity that's that right. you're not going to get through social media
1: that's right i think and i think to your point that it's like you know Just understanding that I do think a lot of bloggers and some of them do it so well. And I think that that's fine. It's like memoir writing. It's like Mm -hmm. sometimes you want to read the story about the one person. But I think it's very smart to be like, you know, what else am I going to say about me today? Um, Mm -hmm. And also, it's way more interesting to just open up that window and get a diverse amount of, of thought and, and style and shopping and preference. And I was just reading earlier today, um, the, the post you put up yesterday from, uh, Neptune violent. Mm -hmm. Um, so Neptune wrote, uh, discovering myself the transcendent queerness of gender fluid lingerie. And so, and I was reading it captivated because I believed, um, that, you know, I knew um, trans and non-binary folks, you know, had places to get lingerie. And I never really thought about the, the very nitty gritty and specifics of all of it. And she wrote about how when you ask, like, like a seamstress can tell you about, the, the trends in gender and in lingerie, um, because mm-hmm. all, uh, lots of times, like all of our lingerie is, is quite literally cut from the same cloth. You know, there's mm-hmm. measurements that people go by and there's an understanding of like back width and, you know, cup size. And a lot of that doesn't work anymore because it's not 1950. Um, but even just imagine reimagining what that looks like for a trans person um or a non-binary person, it was so interesting. And it's like it took me five minutes to read and I walked away being like, huh, yeah, obviously. But like where else mm-hmm. am I going to be able to read about that? Um, and and I think that 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 yeah, there's something very niche about this, but it's also like this is what mainstream intimate apparel I think misses. Um mm-hmm. and what it desperately needs right now is is like way more normalizing of of whatever's happening not inside of a Victoria's Secret.
0: Right. Of these of the conversations people are having.
1: Yeah. Um
0: and, and kind of where for me the question the, the question is uh blah blah blah. The question is also <laughs> If people have these questions, like where can they get answers, where can they go and get reliable information, where mm-hmm. can they go to a source they hopefully trust um, and get those answers, and I really try to position my site as a resource where, kind of, no matter what direction you're coming at intimate apparel from, no kind of matter, no matter what your background is, you'll be able to find at least a little something
1: for you. Yeah.
0: Um, it doesn't mean I cover everything. Like I am a person, like just one person
1: running the site. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can't believe it. But yes, it's true. Like,
0: it's just me. Sometimes people are like, oh, well, you haven't done this and you haven't I'm like, it's, it's literally just me. Like I, and I have to like sleep and eat and stuff. Like i right. try I try my best.
1: Um, uh, don't have to explain it to me. I get it. It's it's <laughs> but, hard. I think there, but if people are forgiving yeah. of that, right. I mean, I feel like you've done an well, amazing I, job. I think
0: a lot of people, I think one, they have the perception there are more people on my site yeah. than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also think a lot of people just don't understand like the work it takes to keep a site up and running regularly yeah. um, to edit things, to update things, to post things. And then to also, in my case, handle everything else. Like I handle the advertising, I handle PR, I handle interview requests. <laughs> that's like, right. One, yes. Right. Um, so kind of like everything, everything related to my site. I do the social media, mm-hmm. um, like if you, the emails, if I, if you see me responding to a comment on Twitter, like that's actually me. Mm-hmm. Um, So that that's a lot to handle. Um, And I enjoy it. And I enjoy what I do. um, But I also think that for some people, they don't I mean, and it's not their fault, like most people don't make a living like writing or running websites, or whatever. Yes. Um, I think some people just kind of don't understand the work that's involved. But back to my previous point, I try to make TLA the laundry addict, um, a place where as many people as possible can hopefully, hopefully find something relevant to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's such a wonderful site. Um, I'm now looking at that rainbow tool robe and I'm like, do I need this? And I feel like the answer is <laughs> yes. Um, I will link it in the show notes so you guys can all see, but it's like amazing. Um, I'm, I'm like seriously staring at it being like, I'm <laughs> trying to imagine myself walking around my house in it and I feel like I can do it. Um, yeah. You know, what's funny. No, everyone thinks internet falls from the sky. Like mm-hmm. like I feel like a big I worked at BuzzFeed for a while and I feel like a big um, joke that people would do if you know that wasn't their job was like oh like your job is to re- I mean my job wasn't this but I feel like people thought of BuzzFeed and it's like wow hard job you just like collect cat pictures and like you know write quizzes and I'm like I get it you know it's not brain surgery it's not rocket scientists but like it it is work like it's mm-hmm. it's weird work but like that stuff on the internet like exists because someone happens. put it there someone just p- had to put it together like that's that's work i'm not defending yeah. the the difficulty of finding cat pictures but i think people do think it just sort of <laughs> like arrives on the site and no one had well, to I, do anything
0: I think this is part of a larger conversation around hidden labor and kind of the devaluation of labor, mm. or at least the devalu- devaluation. I don't
1: know why my tongue is struggling right now. It's 2020, Cora. that's why no one, we don't know how to talk anymore. We don't know how to do any, like we are, we're broken. I know, we this are broken. Me too. <laughs> I get it. I really get it. Um, the dev- um, <laughs> sorry, you were saying the devaluation of.
0: Uh, right. Well, I think that's also a part of the, a part of a conversation about the devaluation of labor, about mm. the devaluation of certain kinds of labor because we have those same conversations in Intimate Apparel um, where people are like, well, a brush shouldn't cost that much just a little bit of fabric. I'm like, actually, oh my what gosh. you're paying for is the labor yes. it takes to put those little bits of fabric together because like we can't just automate a machine to do it. Someone is literally at a sewing machine taking those 30 scraps of fabric and underwire and closures and elastic and putting them into a three-dimensional like structure that can lift and support your breasts. And that yes. takes like, expert level sewing. You can't just sit in front of a sewing machine on your first day and put together a bra.
1: Now, um, but a- that
0: labor is invisible to people. They don't, they don't see it and therefore they don't understand it or appreciate it.
1: I realized that that is the question that I wanted to ask you because I didn't know this until maybe a year ago and then I never actually confirmed it. I didn't realize machines cannot make bras and underwear. Is that true? Right, so we don't
0: have any machines that can automatically make any of our clothing. Like, I focus on intimate apparel because that's my area, but yeah. it includes, like, T-shirts and jeans. Like, there are people who sat there I, I and know. sewed all that together. We don't have robots making our clothing. But even,
1: like, a machine, like... I mean, maybe they I They use down. sewing machines, is that what you're asking? Well, I mean, like, they, I know they use sewing machines and stuff, but I, I, real, I mean, I guess sometimes I think of mass-produced things... Yeah, they're an
0: assembly line,
1: but there are still people there sewing. So it might just be like one person is sewing,
0: like maybe one person is just sewing underwire channels, and one person is just showing sewing, (laughs) (laughs) eye closures, and one person is just doing like the seamed cup. Yeah. Um, but those are still that's just like an assembly line style of production. It's still people doing that.
1: Yep, and there's that labor that we don't Mm -hmm. think or talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, primarily uh, because it's outsourced to women of color. Mm. Um, like there's
0: also a gender and a racialized component here. I mean, we, we, there are very few conversations talking about our devaluing the labor of coal miners, mm. um, even as we move away from being dependent upon coal as an energy resource, like the, the, the labor of coal miners. This isn't like a diss on coal miners. Um, but the labor of coal miners is still seen as valuable and worth preserving and worth saving but the labor of seamstresses is, is not
1: wow yeah i mean that that's op- that feels very obvious now that you said it
0: right and then we look at who's doing each occupation
1: right and that the
0: the hierarchy becomes more clear.
1: Yes, absolutely And I think a lot of us myself included know this from like a tangential standpoint, but I think to right. have that conversation obviously changes you know the way that that I would now look at my bras and the and my clothing um and 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 just sort of the way that that might change how I, consume
0: i tell people no matter whether you bought your underwear and like a five for twenty dollar bin at target or you bought it you know for two hundred dollars from age provocateur like somebody set at a sewing machine and put it together Mm -hmm. like it was all made by a person yeah um and i i hope that that helps to people helps people to understand what they're saying because again like we don't, generations ago, people grew up sewing their own clothes, knowing people who sew, going to a tailor. Um, th- these were a part of, of our collective cultural consciousness. And then sewing jobs and kind of mass sewing were, were outsourced primarily um, overseas. Um, and so we just don't grow, most people don't grow up using sewing machines or even being around a sewing machine. People are not growing up making their own clothes, tailoring their own clothes. People just right. don't know what they're looking at. Um, It's like a foreign language almost until someone sits there and basically explains the thing that they're seeing. Like I I say that I'm like teaching people how to read a bra.
1: I love Um, that.
0: Every, every scene, every, everything means something. And there was part of that part of understanding that story or that narrative is also remembering there was a person or more likely several people um, behind, um, behind getting it to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I think if I, if I were, I don't know how to use a sewing machine. And I think if I were to learn and if I were to make like one thing, I think it would change every, I think it would change the way I look at every single thing that I wear. Every
0: home, every home sewer I know who's ever made a bra or attempted a bra. And these are people who like, sew. they know how complicated it is to make dresses and things like they all are like, bras are difficult. We should actually be paying much, much more for bras than we do. Um, Anyone who makes a bra will, will tell you that. Um, the fact that, and this is a controversial opinion when discussing fashion, mm-hmm. um, like the fact that we can afford bras at all in any capacity is a sign or a signal or a part of how we know we're undervaluing that labor. Because when you look at the cost of ethically made lingerie,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it's, it tends to be priced higher and there is a reason for that. Not always, just just kind of talking about like a general trend. Mm-hmm. Um, the When something is made in America, for example, it's going to be priced like probably 20 to 30% higher than it would be if it was made in, I don't know, like Bangladesh or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that kind of, how am, I, how am I trying to put this? What people often think of as overpriced when it comes to certain brands. Yes. Can be reflective instead of labor costs and other costs like yes. there's there's other stuff that goes into like you know the cost of laundry includes things like shipping and taxes and duties and mm-hmm. customs and material does have some effect in the final cost like if you're spending if you've purchased a lace that costs like 500 dollars a meter mm-hmm. like you're not going to get a 30 dollar laundry set out of that yeah so yeah <laughs> exactly can influence but even in that case the labor still matters so much more because you have to be so experienced if you're gonna to put together a five hundred dollar meter lace right. into a bra.
1: Yeah, I mean it makes a ton of sense that just, you know, the give and the take, you know, every there's no such thing as a free lunch, you know, the onset, the advent of of the the five dollar t shirt and fast fashion, mm-hmm. you know, meant meant something positive for the accessibility of mm-hmm. fashion for body sizes for socioeconomic um class differences and then but then it gets us prepared to say oh like 60 dollars for a bra that's crazy mm-hmm. when it's not crazy um it's actually probably way less expensive than it should yeah. be um but we are so right. used to a 9.99 bra from the gap yeah and right and it's again like you know we talk about it a lot here i hate blaming the consumer um because it's different. It's there are other people to blame first, um, but it is it does give you a lot of perspective um, when you're when you're looking at stuff. You know, like it all all of this stuff determines a price, and mm-hmm. and well, I, yeah. I
0: think we can have a conversation that because often when you talk about the price of things, people get very offended. Like, well, I can't help it. I can't afford this, and you're right, price right, shaming right. me, and I'm like, no, talking about how things are made. Is not price shaming you. Like asserting that everyone deserves a fair and living wage, including the people who make her clothes, yes, is not price shaming you. Like if you think if you say that you deserve to be paid a fair wage, then so does everyone else. Like it's not just you. We are closer,
1: um, yeah. We are closer to the wage of a seamstress than we are to you know, what Mark Zuckerberg makes, you know, like I think the people who they they try to pit against each other to to fight this out, which is, you know, people who are are against, you know, a fast fashion or against a five dollar T-shirt. And then the people who are like, well, all I can afford is a five dollar T-shirt. We're actually all on the same side.
0: Right. The issue is not that things cost too much is that you're not being paid enough. Right. Like those aren't Th- those th- those aren't the same thing. And people often think the issue is things are overpriced when, no, the issue is that your wages are suppressed and therefore things you should be able to afford if you were being paid fairly for your labor
1: are out of reach. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's, that is correct. Um, but we- also,
0: I think we we can also have kind of simultaneous conversations about how people can only afford so much and a lot of things are therefore out of their reach. Like those shouldn't be. Those are not, to me, those are not oppositional conversations. Yeah. I agree. Like we can discuss how you can't afford a thousand dollar coat or whatever. I don't know, um, yes. but also that there are some coats that are worth a thousand dollars. Like these, these are not. These conversations should not be opposites. And I think one thing everyone can do to contribute um, to um, ethical consumption, ethical fashion, the awareness of ethical production, manufacturing is to not diminish the the labor of the people who make our clothes. Like everyone, no matter. What you can afford, no matter what you make, no matter what you buy, we can make sure that we're not contributing to the conversation of asserting that the people who make our clothes do not deserve to be paid fairly.
1: Uh, we are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Cora is going to tell us what she brought to G-Thinks Just Bought It.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello, Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: Okay, we're back, Cora. I need to know what did you bring.
0: I brought a ripped bodice. Oh, what does it call? It's not a gift pack. A surprise pack. There's a name for these. Okay. Grab bag. I think. I think it's a grab bag. Cool. I uh, like, I'm like surprise, surprise pack. Yeah, right. Sup- package. Surprise box. Care package. Care package. Yeah, Got it. It's like surprise package. Care, box? <laughs> care package. <laughs> ripped bodice care package. There we go. Um, so I, when things shut down, obviously a lot of a lot of businesses shut down, including bookstores. Um, I was supposed to do a book signing at Rip Bottice earlier this year, mm. um, and that got canceled because everything shut down. Yeah. Um, and one of the things Rip Botis started doing to bring some more money back in, bring some revenue back in, was offer um, book care packages where you would fill out like a Google survey on mm-hmm. a um, Google form and send them an amount of money for like three books, five books, whatever, however many books. And they would choose books for you and like ship them to you You wouldn't know what they were choosing you didn't really have any say in what they were choosing um they would send things they thought you would like oh i and love I did that a, i don't know if it was a three or five book care package anyway those are my very first romance novels and now i am addicted to romance novels they are the best i don't know how i avoided this genre for so long and the rip bodice care package is what got me started on my romance kick and that has been one of the best things I have done since this whole coronavirus pandemic started because uh-huh. the world is distressing and things are terrible. Yeah. But every romance novel has a happy ending and it's great. And-
1: <laughs> okay, so I am such a big fan of, like, a delicious beach read. Like, I love candy for reading. You know, I just, like, I love a well-written book that is not trying to make me cry, That is going to end well. So, but I've never really dealt, I mean, I've read, um, I've read, like, a couple of the romance books that have made their way into mainstream book world, but I've never really gone deep on a romance book. Like, how... How did you decide that you wanted to take the plunge and just like get into the genre? Uh,
0: Well, I started with Ribbottas because I wanted to support them. Um, I wanted to support an indie bookstore. Mm -hmm. I wanted to support a bookstore that offered to host me for a book signing. Um, So that was how I started. I like it wasn't a lot of money to send. I wanted some reading material. I wanted to support them. So for me, it was, it was a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns out I, I actually like really, really like romance. So what was the first um, book that you read? You know, I don't remember the name of it. Uh-huh. I would have to go and find it on my book shelf. Okay. Hang on. Well, I mean, I could go look now, but what was the, it was a lesbian romance okay. set in um, like the early 20th or late 19th century. Wow. Gosh, now I don't remember the name of it.
1: You'll find it and we'll, and we can link I to it. I will find it. Um, um, but were you just like so hooked after that?
0: Yeah, I was. Uh, Like I said, it was just, it was just happy. Um, It was, it was an escape. It was fun. And I feel like we need, we need escapes now. We need things that uplift us, no matter what they are. Like for me, it turns out that that was romance novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but no matter where you can, Find joy. I mean, I think that's that's what we need.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, especially, um, I know this will this ep- you'll be listening to this episode after the election, but we are recording this uh, the week before the election. Um, I imagine I will need <laughs> as many books <laughs> as I can get, um, depending on how this next week goes. Um, romance is. I would love to just dive in. I'm like looking now. It's a lot
0: of fun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm looking at all of the books. First of all, all the books are so beautiful. All the fonts are cute. Like, I'm sorry that I'm judging a book by its cover, but I definitely am. Everything looks great. For romance, especially everybody does. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like it's, it's evolved from, you know, what I think of when I think of romance books is like, you know, the Samson blonde hair man with the chiseled chest in the grocery store. And a princess with big boobs on the cover you know I like has that evolved since the late 80s like do you feel like well I mean I
0: wasn't keeping up with romance in the late 80s and the 90s I'm very very new to the genre but I can say from the books that I am reading those are not the covers that I'm seeing
1: that's awesome that is however to
0: be fair I think vintage romance covers from the 80s and 90s are awesome in their own right because they are so dramatic and so over the top and so full of like
1: angst and torture yes that
0: just like the covers themselves as a genre right are entertaining as hell and who
1: <laughs> knew there were so many different ways to say penis um... Right, it, it's fantastic. <laughs> um no that's amazing this reminds me of when I got really into cozy mysteries a few years ago are you a cozy mysteries person I am not. One of my best friends is, though, she loves a good
0: murder mystery. And if it's on a train, even better. Yes,
1: perfect. Yeah, this there's like a baking cozy mystery, like the Barnes and Noble near where I used to live in Brooklyn had like a whole shelf and then Books Are Magic had a bunch of these. Um, And I have been looking at, at ways to order them that are they're all on Amazon, but I don't buy my books on Amazon. So I've just been trying to figure out who stocks them. But it's like Strawberries and Strangers, or it's like a cake to die for, and the co- and the covers are all like just cake and being in the kitchen. Uh, this one's Magic oh, and Macaroni. I found the book title. I oh, found the book. Oh, title. tell me,
0: the Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics.
1: Okay, that sounds amazing. I'm googling it right now because I know that Ripped Bodice is in L. A. and I'm actually looking mm-hmm. up their hours right now. And I'm like, do I have time to get there by the end of the day? <laughs>
0: so that is... was that was my introduction to the genre. Okay. And both of my like my best friends who are also in New York got them, Gina Cadillac and um, my friend who runs another lingerie blog, Sweet Nothings. Mm-hmm. We all, all three of us got that book in our care packages and it, it we all loved it. It's so good. And that was my fast track into into the romance world.
1: I am so in like I'm looking right now and I'm like I'm like once we get off the phone, like once we are done with this episode, I'm getting in the car and going to the Ripped Bodice, and I'm going to buy this book. I will also yeah. say, you guys, that on Goodreads, this book has a rating of 4.1 out of 5, which if you've ever spent any time on Goodreads, that is incredible. <laughs> no one on Goodreads likes any book.
0: If somebody is like, this is the worst book I ever read, like, that, that'll that stink just a little bit. Like, then I'm to be like, okay, well, you know, maybe it is the worst book they ever read. I don't know what else
1: they read. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know your life. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know what you're reading I think well I, yes I and I think I don't care my 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 book did well no matter what I just think Goodreads readers are, are critical and, yeah. and I will allow that it's just none of my business but I and will once say it's out there,
0: you huh? can't no do go ahead anything like once no one and once it's out there like there's just nothing to there's be nothing done. you can
1: do and you the have way people to yeah
0: receive it isn't up to you like I put I've only written one book but like I put out the best book I could at yes. the time I know it was the best book I could put out and how people receive my best work isn't that's not I your have problem to do with that. yeah you have yeah. nothing
1: to do with that the thing that i've had to do is communicate to my mom like stop reading the good stop reading the like you know, the one or two Amazon reviews or the one or two Goodreads reviews that are like, I didn't get this book. I didn't like it. And then stop calling me and telling me about it. Like, I don't want to know. My mom's like, do you want me to respond to them? I'm like, no, no I don't want you to respond. To them. No, I appreciate no, it. Never, we don't feed the haters respond. here in this house. We do never. not feed the haters, but, but people seem to love the ladies guide, to Celestial mechanics, Uh beautiful cover two beautiful women, a clear queer book. Um, as Lucy uh Michelinie watches her ex-lover Sham of a wedding, she wishes herself anywhere else. It isn't until she finds a letter from the Countess of Moth looking for someone to translate a groundbreaking French astronomy text that so she knows where to go. Oh my gosh, then she meets a it's woman so of good. her dreams. Oh, I can't wait. It's so good. I can't wait. So, so did how long did it take you to read this like uh, like did you immediately just go on to the next book in the in the bundle?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, this is, this is the one I liked most of all. And nice. when somebody is like, recommend a romance novel to me, like that's a good start a romance novel. Like it's, it is this one.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm definitely in, I need books for the winter. I'm trying hard to, get some escapism into my life. I feel like I've been so I've been rewatching like the Real Housewives of New York and like Mm -hmm. you know just fun I love you know I love to watch women scream at each other. I find that very calming (laughs) Um, and but on the third episode of like the second season from 2007 one of them mentions Donald Trump and I'm like I can't get away from this like Mm -mm. stop. No I I, like I need like I need Amazon or or Google to improve their like Alexa's or their Google home so that like I can mute word words from coming out of my TV, then that's where I would start. So I feel like as long as there's no Donald Trump mentions in any of these romance books, which I can't imagine that there are, I will be so happy. Um, this is such a good recommendation. Uh, oh, good. I
0: hope you like it. Like if you get it and you're like, this is the worst book I ever, I'm
1: going to, I'm going to leave a good, I'm going to leave a bad Goodreads review on your book. And I'm going to be like, her book's good, but she has a horrible recommendation. <laughs> no, I can't wait. I, this is a whole genre. I haven't even touched, you know, I,
0: I hadn't either, like not, I wasn't deliberately avoiding it. I no, just, of course. And I never thought to read it. And so the, the thing about, you probably know this because you've written books, is that like the romance novel industry basically supports everything else. Yes. Um, because people, like people will just binge romance, as I have done these last six months. People yes. will just binge romance. Yes. Um, and so I understand, I didn't understand why, even though I'd heard that, I didn't understand why it was. And now that I am a dedicated romance yeah. fan. I completely get it. I understand the appeal of the genre mm-hmm. so much better now.
1: There is something to be said about, you know, I hate the term guilty pleasure Um, in terms of books, really in terms of anything. I think you should enjoy, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, like enjoy what you want to enjoy. And I don't love that everyone's like, oh my guilty pleasure is like Chicklet. It's no, like books, no. just read books. But you just know read what? Book. Like everyone loves to laud these very serious, very literary um, books, but that's not what people buy in droves. Like people mm-hmm. buy buy romance novels people buy mystery novels in droves like those Mm -hmm. mass market paperbacks you're right they keep the genre going and there's nothing crazy about it I think I remember when when Fifty Shades of Grey came out um Mm -hmm. which by the way my dad (laughs) my dad who's a journalist like had heard about Fifty Shades of Grey before really knowing what it was and but he knew it was like (laughs) he knew it was trendy and he knew everyone was reading it so he was like you should read this and I was like um okay I do do you know what do you know what it's about, Dad? Um, and then it got awkward pretty fast. But we, but <laughs> when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, you know, Kindle sales went up um, like 100% because everyone was so embarrassed to be reading it. And, and so they wanted a Kindle so no one could tell what they were reading. And I just thought that was so interesting that we put we and it's always, you know, it's always women like we put mm-hmm. so much shame on on what you should be reading and what you shouldn't be reading Mm -hmm. and what you should be be, like just read and read what you want Mm -hmm. and who cares Mm -hmm. I read so Mm -hmm. much YA like I love YA I'm 33 I love a good teen novel I don't care like I don't think anyone and the
0: genre is so much there wasn't really a YA genre
1: when I was in that age category I mean it's
0: Awesome that there's so many, so many books to choose from, yeah. and that they all have like such good thoughts Or so many of them have such yes. good plots.
1: Yes, there are. Yeah, there's so many good ones. I feel like they all get. I don't know. They're just good, and I feel like romance. I just have not. I'm. I'm in now, Cora. You've like hooked me. Yeah. I'm, like, yeah. You're there. I'm no, literally the like I'm here. going to the ripped bodice like in in twenty minutes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Good. Um. The other thing, my so my husband and I were talking about this. We talked about this a few times. Um. Is I mean so many people don't like reading and mm-hmm. so many people read at a great level that I think it's like around eighth grade mm-hmm. um, and they they go to school and they grew up and like I hate reading reading's the worst readings terrible and when you look at what we're required to read it makes so much sense like what what would be if we want people to love reading why not give them things that are easy to read and fun to read like yeah. give kids graphic novels give kids young adult fiction give kids romance novels like i don't care if we want to actually cultivate people who love reading and you're not going to do that with fucking war and peace or whatever no
1: you're not you're unless you're one of those weirdos who loves reading war and peace or like you know the, no
0: offense, for the yeah, no, yeah, no, no offense to the woman, yeah, no, yeah, no, no offense to the weirdo. I don't think any high schooler is like right to go. On
1: and that. I gotta give a shout out to my friend Danielle Mullen, she is the only um black woman owned bookstore owner in Chicago. She owns oh, um wow. semicolon, she's amazing. She came on the show back in June and she and I keep in touch. Um, and she and I had this kind of conversation where it's like school gives you some of the most boring books in the world, and so mm-hmm. our our introduction to reading is this slog of like, I have to read it. I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so she has really made a, an art form out of taking what did she tell me she did It was really amazing she takes the school you know curriculum for chicago okay. public schools and she'll find uh, a novel mostly usually written by a black author or an author of color about black people or people of color that follows those same things and so she'll say she said um, Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier was mm-hmm. was like The Great Gadsby. So it's like if you have to read The Great Gadsby for school mm-hmm. and you're not into it, like how about try this book – it, mm-hmm. it will feel you will recognize the people you will recognize mm-hmm. the places the language the way people talk to each other um you know what they're wearing and it's not going it's not about stuffy white people um mm-hmm. from 1921 and she says over and over again kids come back and they're like i get it i get it and mm-hmm. i want to read more and it's like that's what we have to do for all kids mm-hmm. everywhere because those books are boring i didn't mm-hmm. like to kill a mockingbird i think i faked it i don't think i actually read it and he I think I read the CliffsNotes. Well, notes.
0: I would read those books and be like, "Well, what does this? Yeah, what does this? Have to do? Like, why aren't we having kids read like for in terms of I love comics. Um, so like for graphic novels, yeah. why are not we having kids read Mouse? Mouse. I don't know how to pronounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Like, for the Holocaust, why don't we have kids reading like Persepolis? Yeah, learn about Iran. Like, why don't we have kids reading Saga as a novel? Like, it's such a good series. Like, why don't we? There's so... like why don't we have kids reading like Why the Last Man in a feminist class? Like, there are so many mm-hmm. ways other ways talk about and access these ideas that would frankly be a lot more exciting and interesting and relatable than you know, reading Flannery O'Connor or something. I do not like Flannery
1: O'Connor. I'm, I had to read her in my English class. I, I, <laughs> you, you left a bad Goodreads review on <laughs> Flannery <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, look at look at <laughs> Hamilton and and the interest in American history. You know, after that, like if you make things enjoyable and and you can really connect with the audience, then you're going to have then people are actually going to learn, you know, okay. when it feels like homework, because it is homework. I'm already tapped out. Um, yeah. And I, I do feel like a lot of my early adulthood, my early 20s was sort of re relearning how to l- love reading again after school was over, um, because there was so much stuff that I was like, I love to read, but this feels like a chore to me and it's taking, and then after I'm done reading this thing, I don't want to read. The last thing I want to do is read anything else. Mm -hmm. And I lost it there for a little bit, but now I actually deactivated Twitter a few weeks ago, about 10 years too late. I should have just never joined (laughs) um, (laughs) to begin with, but now I have all this free time where I'm not like reading stuff that makes me sad. So I feel like maybe romance novels, that's going to be my next stop. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, good. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) world. I, I feel like I have been heartily embraced by other romance aficionados. Nice. I maybe don't go in as deep as I have because I have been racking up some dollars.
1: Reading I- romance. <laughs> I'm happy. I'll give the rip bodice all of my I'm literally like, I'm waiting for my husband to come home with the car and then I'm going to take the keys and be like, I'm out. I'll see you later, later. I'm going to come back with a lot of books. I am so excited. Cora, Um, thank you so much for coming to G. Thanks. Just bought it.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I hope, like, I haven't done a lot of, I don't talk to a lot of people, kind of. You did day. amazing work.
1: I hope you got what you want. Yes. Oh my God! Are you kidding? This was the most fun conversation. I love that you're like I don't talk to a lot of people. It's like none of us talk to a lot of people, Cora. We're all inside our houses. Like I haven't seen another human in quite some time. Um, you guys, please go visit the lingerie addict. It is amazing. Um, it is so inviting and approachable. And I'm gonna link to that rainbow tool robe. And no one can buy it because I'm gonna buy it. So just make you can buy it after I buy it. Just leave one for me. Um, I. I am so excited uh, for y'all to hear this episode. Cora, this was wonderful. I hope you come back again and we will keep in touch. I will tell you all about the romance books that I am reading. <laughs> well,
0: thank you again for having me. This was a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely. Everyone, you can follow G-Thinks Just Spotted at Pod on Instagram. And we will see you next Friday for another episode.